think the purpose why you plant a church is, is for people. Um, the, the, the Great Commission compels us to, to go and make disciples of, of all nations, and um, really church planting is, is about people. We are Jeff and Larissa Toomer, and we are church planters in Alexandria, Virginia. So we went to a church planting conference about a year and a half ago, just on the way back, uh, she took a, uh, a notepad out and just said, well, what do you think about when you think of church? And, and of course, we're brainstorming, um, trying to think of, of names to call this this thing that God is, is building in us. And, you know, I, I looked at her and I said, you know, I always say life's a journey. You know, life's a, a, a journey. Um, this place is not our home. That there's more to life than just what we're experiencing right now. We took this word journey and came up with transit, the transit. Our mission, you know, is the mission of, of every church to make disciples, specifically where God has planted us in, in Kingstown, Alexandria, Virginia, and however that will spill over into the surrounding region. The vision that God has given us is lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and communities that are impacted. And what we see in that is people coming together from all walks of life, all ethnicities, multi-generational, doing life together, and the gospel both forming us and transforming us. Forming us into a community of people who live for God and transforming us to be more like Jesus. That really is our dream here for this community, that we would be transformed by the gospel, but also it would be the transforming agent for those things that are around us. The best way to, to grow as a disciple is, is rubbing shoulders and, and elbows with someone else who was on that same journey. And uh, we're excited to find those people here who want to join the journey with us. Good morning. That was my homage to my youth. <laughs> That was me, uh, gosh, that seems like such a long time ago. Uh, only eight and a half years ago, I think. And uh, that was when I had hair that could grow on top of my head. No facial hair, I was still in my army mode. And uh, there's probably no one in this room that was around this church at that point, which tells you how far we've come as a church. If I've not met you yet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. and. Uh, a belated Merry Christmas and a preemptive Happy New Year to you all. Glad that you would get up out of your beds on this holiday weekend and spend some time with us. We are as well happy for those that are joining us by live stream. Probably there's more of you out there than there are in here, uh, but we are nevertheless glad to be together today. Um, so that bit of nostalgia has a purpose. I'm not just showing it just to show it. Uh, it, it will have intent in the sermon that I'm going to preach today. But uh, this is my farewell sermon, all right, so to speak. Notice I didn't say goodbye. Like, there's never a goodbye at the transit. Like, this is, uh, God has made us uh, uh, an accidental value that we have is we are a transient church, and everyone, the prayer that, that, that everyone, that the government or the army or that life moves on from our church, we actually pray them to come back. And so uh, I'm not necessarily praying that I will come back, but... Uh, I've got a new title for myself that I've, it's, it's self-entitled actually. I am the, uh, the pastor emeritus of the Transit Church. So because I'm emeritus, I like, I have to come back, right? So uh, actually, you know, I got to be honest, I wasn't actually supposed to preach today. <laughs> so, so I've actually come back before even being asked to come back. So 
but this is my farewell sermon, and with that, I, I want to do two things. I want to look back, you know, like some of the things that, that my wife and I said eight and a half years ago that are foundational to our church that still are uh, ways that we act and think and believe at the Transit Church, and that I'm encouraging you, hey, hold on to these things because they're important, not just because uh, they're Transit Church, but they're important for the church at large. And secondly, I, I want to I project forward a little bit, and because you know we're on the cusp of a new year, and uh, it's always to, uh, good to be encouraged and even challenged in regards to the things that we should be thinking as God brings us into a new year. So we're going to do a little bit of that together today, and we're going to do that from this text in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1, a few verses here, starting in verse 3, going all the way to verse 12. So turn there in your Bibles, and if you don't have your Bibles, or you got your phone, if you don't have your phone, it's going to be on the screen. But we will read these verses out loud together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Here's what the Apostle said. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who believe, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make, your work, make you worthy of his calling and, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our, Lord, of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Thank you for your word today. We thank you for just a Sunday that we can gather today. It's holiday weekend, and so people are out and about. But we, we're glad that we uh, get this opportunity to, to, to worship you as a church family. God, we pray just one thing, that you be with us. God, that you sing over us songs of deliverance. God, that you would unite our hearts as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we move into this new year, God, that you both encourage us with your grace. And God, you challenge us for the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You know, when you think back, to the Bible days, but even more, more nearly to our day, it's a miracle that there is any church that, that exists. And the video that I showed that goes all the way back to even before our church launched seven and a half, eight years ago, just uh, makes me marvel at what God does. You know, there's this beautiful passage in, in Matthew 16 where Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples about who do they think he is. And Peter gets the revelation that Jesus is the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And on the heels of that, 
Jesus says these brilliant words. He says, on, on this I'll build my church, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so those, are, those, those words are right and true, that Jesus builds his church. And as we think about how churches actually come about, it is Jesus that builds his church. And it's only because of the grace and mercy of God that he calls us and commissions men and women, like fallible men and women, to come alongside him and his mission. And through us, he accomplishes this great work in our world of putting churches where perhaps there are none that exist. So today I want to do a couple of things, and the first thing I want to do is, is really start by reminding us of who we are as a church and what we believe God has called us to, this transit church right here in the midst of, of Alexandria, and what God has called us to really comes to fruition when we think about our mission. Here's our mission. Let me put it on the screen here for you. Transit church exists to glorify God by making disciples who love God, one another, and the world around us. If you've come to our mission, our, our members class, membership class, you have heard me articulate what exactly is going on in this mission. If you have been to our website, found our church, you've seen it on one of our web pages there. And the words should sound familiar if you've been in church for a little bit. There's a combination here of, of two great passages of scripture. First, you have uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, Jesus' parting words as he's uh, going to eternity, going to, going to heaven. He says that uh, he's going to make, uh, he, the, the task that we have is to make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always into the uh, end of the earth. And then that last part of the mission statement is, is the great commandment, Matthew 22, just a few verses before, a few chapters before the, the, the great commission. A lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, so what's the, what's the greatest command that God gives us? And Jesus uh, reflects all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema where, uh, where Moses wrote that the, the greatest thing that we can do in our lives is to love God, right? To love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And so Jesus derives uh, that Shema that's from Deuteronomy 6 into these words here, that we should love the Lord uh, our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so those two strong foundational texts are the ones that bind our, our mission statement as to what God has called us to. I don't want to talk about those. I actually want to talk about one word in our mission statement, and it's the word glorify. That's a really important word, glorify. And perhaps the scripture that most impresses me or that most moves me with that word glory, glorify in it, goes all the way back to the, the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.14. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Any of y'all been, been to the beach lately? I, I know. It's, it's like the start of winter, right? And it's been cold, right? So very likely, very few of us have been to the coast uh, to, to vacation or even to, to, to watch the water, right? But this idea of... of, of of waters covering the sea is an important topic, theme that the, the prophet is, is conveying. When we look at the ocean, we don't actually point to, point to, the, to the, the ocean and say, hey, there's water here, and then we point somewhere else and say, there's the sea there, right? 
in, in reality, water, sea, salt water, it's all the same thing. And so when it comes to the prophet and his words here, the exhortation that he's saying is, is like um, the, the, the way we look at the, the water and the sea shouldn't be differentiated. It's all the, it's all the same thing. And the prophet is saying the same thing, how, how it will be one day that, that with God's glory, it's going to be ubiquitous. It's going to be pervasive. It's going to be everywhere. The knowledge of God's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In other words, there's going to be this sense that we can't get away from the real experiential knowledge of God and what God is like. It's going to be all over the place. And so this word glory is important. And it's in our mission, not just because it's important, but because from the very beginning, we wanted that to be the thing that we would live into, this, this vision that we would live into, that the vision of a transformed life and an impacted community that comes about only because we've individually and corporately beheld the glory of God so much that it's changed us. That's been our vision at Transit Church for everyone that would walk through our doors and become a part of our church family that you would be changed by the glory of God, both individually and corporately, and, 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 and that change would leak out of you such that it would impact everything that's around you, every, every place that you live, work, learn, play. It would just leak all around. So that's what we mean by glory. And when the mission statement says we want to glorify God, it's not just about singing singing songs to God like we did this morning. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday. It's not just about uh, going to community group or sharing a Bible study, any of those things. It's more about living in light of that truth so the world can see what God is like through us. That's what God's glory is all about. We can see God's glory by the things that he's made, the creation, all the, 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 the things that, that God makes by speaking. But really, when the Bible talks about the glory of God being evident in the world, that the way that that's most evidently seen is through our lives. And there's good and bad in that. And, and, and first, the good. The good is that God uses us. When God's glory is seen through us, that means that God is using us to impact our world, to change our world. But the bad about that is that we fall woefully short of that, right? And, and that's what the Bible calls sin. Falling short of God's glory is what the Bible calls sin. And we fall short of God's glory both in omission and commission. We fall short of God's glory in in our thoughts and our motives and our behavior and and in any and every way that we fail to look and think and act like the the God of the Bible does. The Bible also says the wages of our sin is death. And what that means is that not only is there an impending death, the writer of Hebrews says that, that there is destined for us the uh, uh, death and then a judgment. So there's an, an impending death, and eventually there's an eternal death if our sin is not atoned for. But there's also this reality that there's a temporary death, that we're dying every day. And we experience that in our relationships and the tension of, of just being. Right? Is that me? Sorry about that. So experience brokenness in the world because all the ways we don't live the way that God intended us to live. And that, church, is why we need Jesus, right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that, that God sends his son. That he loves us so much that he would send the second person of the Trinity to die in our place for our sin. 
Jesus comes as the true glory of God. Paul says it rightly in Romans that Jesus came to be deity in physical form. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the exact radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And what that means, if, if you want to know what God is like, you simply look at Jesus. There's a lot of people who have a hard time with Christianity because they're looking at people like you and me, Christians, and we aren't quite meeting, uh, meeting the, 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 the task of reflecting what God is like. There's many a, a church leader that presents a terrible display of, of what God is like, and even the church itself at, at times, and this is one of those times when the church is not reflecting quite rightly what God is like, people look at us, people look at the church, and they see a misrepresentation of, of what God is like. And so they shrug their shoulders and say, why would I want to be a Christian? And it would be easy for us to, to toss our arms up and say, man, what's the use? We'll never fully re- reflect God's glory. It's a lost cause. We should just leave, uh, live life like we want to and leave everybody else alone. But the Bible, of course, has a different perspective on that. The Bible's response to that is that Jesus saves us so that we can live a new life that gets conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And the more that our lives reflect that image, the more we're going to look like Jesus. It is actually true that if you want to know what God is like, we should firstly look to Jesus. But but here's the Bible's uh, exhortation to us. It says, the more we follow Jesus, the more we're going to look like him, and we also reflect that glory. Paul says in Colossians 1, to, to them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love this, this text. Paul is saying there's a mystery going on about how, how God makes himself known in the world, and the mystery involves us. It's, it's, it's Christ in us. That is the hope of glory. Paul's saying the hope that anyone has of seeing what God is like is not in us, in our own strength, being what we want to be. It's not in us trying harder, but by Jesus living his life in and through us. He continues in verse 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. That's a huge statement. I hope that you, Transit Church, never get tired of preachers from this pulpit proclaiming Jesus. This is one of our values. The first value is that we would be a, a, a church that relies on the authority of the Bible versus the, the authority of some man saying whatever he thinks, whatever his opinion is. The second value that our, our church has is that we would be a Jesus-centered church. So that means that when you come to worship or you come to community group or you're gathering in any form as the church, that, 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 that Jesus' words matter. The God of the Bible is, is, is Jesus, Right? And so we would come and we would uh, say prayers to Jesus. We would sing songs to Jesus. We would open our, our Bible and learn more about who Jesus is and what he's done. And he would get the first and the last word. Him we proclaim. Paul says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so the Apostle Paul says, the only way that we can present it mature in Christ is by Jesus' work and Jesus' power working in us. That's, that's, that's how we glorify God on the earth. That's how we grow into all those things that Christ wants us to be in our days on earth. And I would tell you that's our goal. 
That, that's the goal of, of our church, that you would grow up, that you would grow up, that you would mature in Jesus. Every time we gather and open the word of God, that we would see, that our hope is that we would see a need for God. And that the only way that we can live the life God calls us to is to live by his power working in and, and through us. And here's the thing I don't think we, we should miss. Paul is, is really articulating that he knows what his job is. And here's what his job is. He says, it's to present everyone mature. That, that word is repeated three times, the word everyone. And so when it comes to how many people is Paul in, in, in endeavoring to make sure that they grow and mature to be uh, mature lovers and followers and servers of Jesus. The word here is is everyone. And everyone means everyone, right? Not just some people, not just the leaders, not just those called the vocational ministry. He says every single member of the body of Christ is meant to mature, is meant to grow up. Paul echoes that in Ephesians 4, verse 15. He says, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're supposed to be growing, maturing, until we are all together collectively built up in love. And so that's the, that's the task, that's the mission for every one of us from the littlest kid in this room to the eldest member of our church. And I would say your your, your leaders, your elders, your pastors, we're absolutely committed at Transit Church to help every one of us become a mature disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? It's a follower of, of Jesus. That's why it's in our mission statement. Transit Church, the mission of Transit Church is to glorify God by making disciples. And of course, the the, the, the other part of the mission is, it's not just making you a disciple, but making you such that you're so mature that you can help other people become disciples as well. A disciple who makes other mature disciples of Jesus. That's what we're, we're after. That's what I said in that video seven and a half years ago. And lo and behold, we're still saying that. That's still our mantra. And that really has been my job as a pastor here for the last seven and a half years. I hope I won't offend you by saying these words, but, but this is true, that, that your pastors are not here to entertain you, although we want you to have fun when you come to church and when you gather and we do church things. We're not here to help you consume goods and services on Sunday, although we got free coffee in there. Like, I don't know what kind of coffee it is, but it's free. Go get some, drink it up. We want you to feel hospitable. We want to be hospitable. We want you to be on receiving end of that. We want you to feel welcome, but we're not here to, like, uh, you know, be uh, the the giver of consumer services and all that stuff. We're here to help you become a contributing member of the body of Christ such that you see yourself on a mission with Jesus everywhere you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play, for the glory of Jesus so that his glory will be revealed. That the actual glory of God would happen, and it would happen because it's, it's like beaming through your life. That's all we're after here. And that's why God has made you, to live for his glory. And I hope you're not confused about that. And so with that, as a long intro and as a backdrop, that was my looking back. Here's what I want to do. I want to look forward, because like in four days, five days, we're in a new year. And I think most of us will be happy that that new year is coming. 
But as with all years, I, I think if you don't have a plan or at least a, a thought process about how you're going to um, move into that year and uh, attempt to better yourself, then uh, you're going to probably go into the year with, without doing that, without having a plan. And so I want to look forward with this question in mind. What would God have you do to take ownership of your discipleship? If the mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, one another, and the world around them, what would God have you personally do to take ownership of your disciples, your discipleship? And particularly, what would he have you do in this coming year, 2021? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you where I'm going, because it's already in the text, right? At the end of this text, verse 11 to be exact, Paul calls us to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have received. And so I, I don't want any of us to be clueless how we, how we go about doing that. And so the, the task for us this morning is to sort of get our, our plan for how we're going to do that collectively, but also individually. What would it look like for all of us to live worthy of the calling that, that we've received? And in our text, Paul starts with thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we all ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are endearing. Paul is, 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 is like, with all that this church, this Thessalonican church has going on, he decides to first uh, to, to thank them for what he sees going on in them. And the likes of, of the Apostle Paul, I think it's right for me to start by saying, I'm thankful for you, Transit Church, right? Because I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the years that we've spent together. I'm thankful for all the things that God has done. I'm thankful for um, what God is doing in each of your lives. I've gotten to know some of you very closely. There's some of you that I know only loosely, but it's, 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 I have um, the, the, the most choice view of, of you loving and serving and growing in Jesus. And some of you, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten to, to watch you grow from not knowing Jesus or knowing Jesus in a, a very casual way to, to leading in our church. Some of you that are right here in this room right now, I've seen many of you grow in faith. I've seen all of us grow in love for each other. I've had the privilege of marrying people in our church. I, I, I've had the, the occasion to, to bury a couple people in our church, and in that we've grown together, even if by grieving. I've watched many of you press in where there are needs presented in our church or in our community and rise to the occasion, whatever that might be. I've seen many of you just be overly generous, and I think this year is a, is a testament to that. Even amidst the, the craziness of the coronavirus and racial tensions in our country, we've been a, a very giving church. More than that, we've been a very inviting church. And, and really, our church has been an inviting church all along. People ask me, well, well did you set out to, to have a, a, a military-type church? And I said, like, absolutely not. I didn't pray that one time. I, I actually didn't want it because I know it, you know, <laughs> that's a hard church to to, to, to pastor because people are always coming and going, and such is our church. But in the midst of that, that's, I mean, you guys are inviting your friends, right? And they're coming, and they're hearing the gospel, and prayerfully they're joining us, and, 
and growing. Many of you have stepped out to do that. You know, this has been a crazy year. This has been the lowest attending year of, of any, like even, even our first few months as a church. This year will um, uh, amount to be the lowest attending year, like in-person services that we've ever had in eight years. But if you count the online audience, it'll be the highest attending uh, year that we've ever had because we're, you know, we never really intended to be online anything. It was just like, all right, let's just gather as a church. Let's do what churches do. Let's be the people of God and come together worshiping him like in person. But the pandemic has caused our church, caused every church really to go online. And with that, we're able to reach far more people than we would have uh, had we not ventured into this. More than that, there's so many uh, like ex, you know, former transit uh, attendees and members that are joining us every Sunday. And so we say, you know, thank God for y'all. And uh, it's good to have you jump back in whenever you can. Interestingly, this is going to be the highest giving year of our existence as a church. This low attending, high online, like what, is, what in the world is the church doing? It's going to be the highest giving year in our seven and a half year history. And so we praise God for that. And every year we've grown in service and faith and love and opportunity and in our generosity, in our time and in our talent and in our treasures. And so what Paul does with this, uh, this, this church of Thessalonians is he boasts about that. He boasts about all the things that they're doing and that God is going to do in them. And I do the same thing for you, Transit Church. Like these things, like we started from like my family like, and, a, and a couple other strap hangers. And then there are, although not in this room right now, there have been so many, like up thousands of people that have come through our church. And God has borne all this stuff in our church. And so with Paul, I start by applauding the grace of God that's at work in us. And uh, I thank him for all the things that are to come, even when I'm not here anymore. And so that's a little bit of encouragement. But, but here's what Paul does in the rest of this text, at least these few verses. He gives them a challenge, right? Paul is writing to a, a church that's experiencing significant persecution. There are actually people who are giving their lives for the cause of their faith, for, for, for serving and loving Jesus. And I don't know if you've paid attention to this. We've actually spent most of this year on this topic of suffering and persecution. We started early in the year in the book of, of Daniel in the Old Testament, and we looked at what it meant for for us to be exilic people, a people who are living in a land that's not our home, and what does what faithfulness look like in that kind of a context? And then in the summer and the fall, all the way up to November, uh, we went to the book of 1 Peter, which again speaks to persecution. Peter was writing to a, a dispersed church, and they were experiencing a measure of suffering and persecution, not, the, uh, not, not pain in their bodies or actually uh, dying for their faith, but just being marginalized and pushed to the, to the extreme because they were uh, claiming the name of Jesus. So we've been looking at this idea of, of suffering and persecution, similar to what Peter is, uh, Paul is saying here. But the reality is, as much as we talk about suffering and persecution, even this year, I wonder if we really have a clue as to what it's like to suffer for Jesus' sake. Do we even have a clue? And I'm not saying that many of us don't suffer. I think when we wake up in the world that we're in, just like wake up and start breathing, in a sense, that suffering. Any life existence outside of a Garden of Eden existence for us as the people of God is to suffer because Garden of Eden is the, is the, is the, 
kind of the context that God brought us into the world and that he intended for us, minus the sin. And so we all experience a measure of suffering. We've lost loved ones and broken relationships. There's unreconciled situations. We experience this stuff because we're just human. But the idea that we suffer for Christ and that we potentially lose our lives as a result is actually not something that most of us face as citizens of the, uh, of the United States of America, right? We don't wake up worrying about this idea of, of losing our, uh, uh, our lives for what we believe. And so Paul is exhorting the church, this, this particular church and telling them that the fact that they're steadfast and, faith, and faithful in persecution, verse 5, is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. I think this is Paul's way of, of telling this church that the evidence that they belong to the kingdom of God is, uh, is in their willingness to suffer for their king. The Thessalonians had a willingness to suffer for their king. Suffering is a challenging word, isn't it? Isn't it always tough to talk about suffering? Because it's so easy to do everything we can to avoid any kind of suffering, even for our faith. You know, a lot of times we choose comfort. Most times we choose safety. We want to protect our reputation. We want to be thought well of, and suffering in any measure can get in the way of that. There's this alternate reality of people that actually are willing to give their lives for what they believe. And those aren't just Christians. There's all kinds of people who are willing to give their lives for what they believe. We read the, the, the real encounters of the Mars, the first through fifth centuries in, in, our, in our world, and even today, among brothers and sisters all across the world, there's, this, there's some measure of, of this, of, of suffering for the gospel. And so if we're honest, it, it, it frightens us to death, doesn't it? This idea that we would be called to suffer for our faith. Now, let me uh, assuage many of you. Paul's suggestion here is, is not that we're going to perish in our suffering. He's not talking to us in the 21st century about suffering to the point that we are going to give our lives for it. But this is an exhortation to be willing. Those, those are important words. This is an exhortation from the Apostle Paul that, that as, as, as citizens of the kingdom, our posture should be that we are willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus, our King. And, and, and my encouragement to you is that suffering can actually take many forms. Whereas many of us aren't going to be called in America to give our lives for what we believe, you may be called to suffer in, in some other ways. For some of you, Jesus might just want you to suffer by going out of your house, going across the street, knocking on the door of your neighbor and introducing yourself. And, and some of you are all thinking, well, that's not suffering. But for some people, that's hard. Right? That would be a hard thing, a hard event in their life that they would have to, like, gear themselves up to do. But maybe that's the suffering that God is calling you to. For some of us, our suffering might, might be in the, in the sense of getting our house dirty. That is, inviting people into your house, and they come with their mess, like their dirty shoes and their dirty lives, and they eat your food, and they, you know, they, they get the plate dirty and the cup dirty, and they just, they're just there in your house. 
You know, the, the perspective the Bible has about hospitality is not that we invite our friends into our space. It's more so that you invite strangers to, 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 to dine with you, to hang out with you, to be friends with you. For some, suffering might be you letting go of your schedule such that the kingdom of God can interrupt it. For some, suffering is that we actually give up some things, some things that we can rightly choose to, to do or not do if we chose to, but we give them up for, for the kingdom and for the king's sake. So let me ask you, Transit Church, if there's, if there's any demonstrated willingness in your life to suffer for your king. I think Paul is calling us to that. He continues in verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, they will suffer the punishment of eternal just destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. There's a lot of words. I'm sorry, I, I, that's probably me, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to move over two steps. Like, I don't know what's going on. Oh, that's, that's what it is. All right. That's what it is. I'm just going to, like, be. Don't give me a hand mic. Don't you do it. All right. <laughs> So there's a lot of words. I'm going to summarize what Paul is saying in, in two sentences. First, he's saying God is not blind to the suffering that his church experiences, right? He says that 2,000 years ago to the Thessalonians. He's saying that to us. He's not blind to the persecution and the suffering that the church experiences in any form that he experiences suffering and persecution. God is not standing by and doing nothing. He's, not, he's also not blind to the antics of those who persecute the church. Who, who appeared into who, the, who, who God is, uh, what the church is about, and, and have, have blatantly rejected it because they just reject Jesus. Here's the second thing Paul is saying. He's saying you take ownership of your discipleship, not only when you're willing to suffer for your king, but also when you acknowledge there's a coming judgment that's very that, 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 that should motivate us, right? That there is a coming judgment that's very real. And that's what he says in the, the majority of, of, of verse 6 through, through 10. That we live in a day and an age of, of those who say that God is not going to judge sin. That there's no such thing as wrath that's going to be poured out. God is a God of love. Why would he want to pour out love, I mean wrath, on those that he loves? There's no such thing as an eternal punishment for our sins by a holy God. If God is a God of love, why would he want to punish those that he, the object of his love? And of course, if you've read your Bible, you know that the Bible disagrees with that. It is true God is a God of love, but the Bible also says God is a God of justice. The Old Testament psalmist says that vengeance belongs to God. It is God's purpose to avenge. And so the Bible is clear God loves, but God also punishes sinners. The Bible speaks of a just recompense for our rebellion against, against him. And that should sober us. To think of a day that we'll all stand before God, and, and if we fail to live as he intends us to live, 
which in our mission statement says that, that we're supposed to glorify God in everything that we do, and, and the thought is we all fall short of that, then, there, I mean, where can we stand? All right, sorry about that. And so if it weren't for the cross, we'd have no hope in Jesus. We'd have no hope because Jesus' perfect life in exchange for my imperfect one is what the Bible prescribes for us as the best case for us. Jesus' death given to pay for my sins. Jesus' resurrection to give me new life and, and new hope, new power by his spirit poured into us to enable us to live for God's glory. And that really is all that we have. And so if you think you have any kind of merit that, that makes your life appealing to God, the only merit that you have that can stand before God is the merit of, of boasting in your Savior that dies in your place for your sin on the cross. And that's the merit of Jesus. And the admonishment here is, is not to forget that this will happen. Is that he, he, Paul doesn't want us to forget that this is happening, that we can't go through our days thinking it's no big deal that people don't know God, that people haven't heard the gospel, that people haven't had a chance to respond to Jesus as if it did not matter. And for those of you in the room that have professed faith in Jesus, this isn't a rebuke more than it is an exhortation for all of us to ask ourselves, do we even think about the people around us who don't know Jesus yet? And do you care that one day they'll stand before a holy God and have to give an account? And if they haven't known hope or faith in our Lord, they actually won't stand. That there is a real eternal punishment. And the Bible has a lot of names for it. The Bible calls it hell. It calls it Gehenna. It references it as the lake of fire. It calls it eternal suffering. And those words don't sound good because none of that is good. Those are, those are places, locations. We don't know where they exist, but they exist somewhere, right? And they represent things that are not good. Now, Paul here in, in verses 6 through 10 is pretty clear. This is for those who don't know God. This is the, the, the destiny, the extent of life for those who have not professed faith in Jesus. He's speaking of people who are persecuting the church after they've heard the gospel right? And they've just outright rejected our Lord. But the thing that I, that I think of when I read this text is if, if they did it then, then the, the opportunity for us to, to reject Jesus now still exists. People are capable of that still today. Perhaps you're tuning in. Perhaps you're in the room and you have yet to surrender your life to the one who's given his all for you. Perhaps you're one that needs to know the truth of God, of his love for you, and that there is hope for you in, in Jesus the Christ. And so we pray that you won't walk out, that you won't tune out without at least giving thought to the offer, the offer of grace that comes only through Jesus and his sacrifice for you in your place for your sin. And what this boils down to is if this is true, if this is true, that there is, uh, that there is this reality of a future judgment for, for all of us. If this is true, if, if, if we believe this, there, there has to be an urgency to our lives. It means there's a sense of weightiness 
to what we do every day, that we're just not going through life. That we're not just going to work and going to school and doing sports, having playtime. Of course, those were all pre-COVID things that we used to do, right? Who knows what 2021 will afford us. These are all good things, but there is so much more that God is calling us to. And we talk of being disciples, people who follow Jesus. We're actually talking about following Jesus, not in the extraordinary, but actually in the ordinary things of our lives. And we have to realize every activity is an opportunity for us to give glory to God in our lives and then give the credit to Jesus so that people outside of God might know what he's like and that they might be able to respond to what he's done. So the question, how do we take ownership for our discipleship? Here's what Paul says. You take ownership of your discipleship, firstly, if you're in the kingdom and you're willing to suffer for the king. Secondly, you you take ownership for your discipleship when you acknowledge there's a coming judgment that's very real, and you work to present both judgment and mercy of God to those who are perishing. And the third, and this will be my last point, is, is, is Paul is asking us, are you even living like all this is possible? Are you living like any of this is possible? And he says that in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may, and may fulfill every resolve for every good work of faith by his power, so that, verse 12, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that, 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 that's noticeable here is, is Paul is praying. And so as he's thinking about this church that he's writing to, this, this church that he started, that he's coming back to, thinking about them, exhorting them, mentoring them. He's praying in light of all their affliction and suffering, in light of Jesus' future return, that they live like all this could be possible. He wants them to live lives such that they are worthy of the thing that God has actually called them to. Part of what, it, what, part of what Paul is addressing it, it, here is the tendency for, for people in his day, but also people in our day, to, to think this, like, well, if Jesus hasn't returned yet, I mean, why should we even be worried about him returning at all, as if he were not going to return? And the, 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 obviously, the, the answer to that is read your Bible and, and, and believe what your Bible says. And the Bible says Jesus is coming. We aren't told when. We don't know the day or the hour Matthew's gospel says, but we have to expect it. The Bible exhorts us to be ready, and then when we're ready, to be doing his work. And here's why we should be ready, to, 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 to see Jesus and to see him come back. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says his return is going to be glorious, right? It's going to be glorious. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be decked out. He's going to be tatted up. He's going to be on a white horse, and he's going to be amazingly brilliant, right? The sight of him is going to be awesome. But here's what I like what the Bible says about Jesus coming back. It says that when he comes back, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him, right? And that's supposed to encourage you. It encourages me because I'm, I'm kind of tired of my brokenness. Are you tired of your brokenness? I'm kind of tired of my sin. Are you tired of your sin? I'm tired of my impatience. I'm tired of my crankiness. I'm tired of my selfishness. I'm tired of my pride. And I'm tired of all that, all that in YouTube. That was a joke. 
So we should, we, want to, we should want to be done with all those things. And one day we will be. In the meantime, here's what the, the text encourages us. It encourages us to strive forward with his power and his help to become what he saved us to be, which, which is to have lives that are worthy of the calling to which we have received. And so here's the question for you this coming year, Transit Church. Does your life look like you believe you're worthy of the calling of Christ? Does it? Does your life look like you are worthy of the calling you've received from Christ? And I got the answer for you. You don't have to think about that. Because here's what's the truth for every one of us in this room. We've got a price tag on, on our heads, and there's no enumeration on it. Say, so like, you go to, go to the mall, and you're looking through, trying to find a new shirt or something, and it's got a price tag. It's like, ah, that's too much. Ah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't trust that, right? Your, your price tag is innumerable. It only has two words on it. Guess what the words say? Jesus Christ, right? Bought with his blood. That's how much you're worth to the Father in heaven right, that, that, that he would be willing to give his only son for you, that Jesus would be willing to lay his life down to purchase you by his blood to bring you into his family, into the family of God, which is a life worthy to receive. That's what God says about you. That's how much you are worth, Transit Church. And if you're living a life worthy of that calling, the truth is you can't, you can't earn it, right? Paul's not here saying, uh, saying, earn your way to, to worth so you can, can be deemed worthy. He's saying, I've deemed you worthy when you even didn't want to be worthy. He's saying, I, I've called you worthy when you weren't even following me or when you were obeying me. You're worthy not because of your behavior. You're worthy because you're a person. God loves you because he loves you. He loves you and he chooses you. Our very being is what God gives his life for. He makes us sons and daughters when we're far from him. And then he transforms us from the inside out with his power and with his grace. And that's why good news is good news, right? If it's good news, it's supposed to sound good. In fact, it's supposed to sound better than good. Ultimately, here's what, the, here's what our, our, our lives should reflect. We, we, should, we should want Jesus to receive the reward of his suffering. And what's the reward of Jesus' suffering for all of us. The Bible says the reward is our lives lived to the extent fully possible that we would live them for the lover of our souls. We would live them, live them for Jesus. That we live every way and every minute for the one who gave everything for us. The truth is we can never pay Jesus back for, for what we owe to him. But may our lives be an offering because he is that worthy. He gave his life for us. And change the church, you should know your elders, your, your pastor emeritus, that's me, the staff. I mean, when we think about you, our, our goal, our desire, our hope for you is that you be equipped to be that faithful. Our hope is that we would help you to grow up in maturity and, and that you live a life worthy of the calling to which you have Receive. So here's the question. What would it look like for you to resolve to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received? Said differently, what aspects of your discipleship do you need to take greater ownership of in this current, current year, coming year? 
Now, the truth is, I don't know what that is for, for all of you. But, but if I could give you some suggestions, might I suggest that we all start with the basics? That really is the foundation of our faith. For some of you, that means just read your Bible. You know, if you're a Christian, like, like this Bible here, this is, this is your book by which you know who God is. God makes himself known through this book. And so if you're not availing yourself to this book, you're, you're missing a whole lot about who your God is. There's a whole lot I could recommend to you in terms of what to read and how to read it, but just pick it up and read it. If you're new to the Bible, start in, in the Gospel of Mark. Then go to Matthew, Luke, John, then read the whole New Testament, then go back to the Old Testament and read all of that. If you start at the very beginning of your Bible, you're going to, like, fizzle out by the time you get to Numbers, right? Start in the New Testament. For some of you, it might be prayer. I was challenged this week. I read someone that said that uh, when we don't pray, that rally really is you being arrogant, right? It says that it, when you don't pray, it says that you can accomplish whatever you need without God's help. And I think the key for, for most of us in regards to prayer is just be specific. Pray for specific things and for specific people because when you pray specifically, uh, what you're doing is you're endearing yourself to a thing or, more importantly, a person. And the more you pray for them, the more you're going to be endeared to them, the more you're going to love them. For some of you, it might be memorizing scripture. The psalmist says that we hide the word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. So imagine how much scripture you could put in your heart so that you're not sinning. Some of you, part of your basics would, would, would be giving. We give joyfully. We give regularly. We give sacrificially. But I'm going to suggest something different. You know, we're, uh, we are an affluent community, and uh, it's, it's kind of easy in affluent communities to, to, to give a little money here and there. But the thing that many of us don't think that we can give is our time, right? And so the challenge for many of you is, well, would you give more of your time? Your time is precious. But would you consider giving your time to other people? So making time for people, allowing time for people to come into your life, to come into your home, that giving of time can be a harder thing for us. For some of you, it might be serving, that you'd stop being only a consumer and start being a contributor in our church, using your gifts and your talents, giving your treasure away, that the church might use it in the ways that, uh, that would benefit the, the congregation as a whole. For some of you, it's just getting to a community group. Stop being a lone ranger. Right? Stop being alone by yourself and get in relationship with other people. I don't know actually what the answer is for you, but I'd love for you to ask yourself that question. I'd love for you to, to ask God that question. What would it look like for me to take ownership of my discipleship in such a way that I live a life worthy of my calling? The truth is we all have an opportunity in this, in this coming year, right? An opportunity not just to go to church or to view church online if you're joining us by live stream, but to actually be the church, even during a pandemic, we can still be the church. And that's my challenge to you, Transit Church. And whatever it is, let's be the church to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this year. And what a year it's been. God, it's been challenging. 
But in the midst of challenge, we've um, experienced all kind of uh, encouragement in the midst of our church. Lord, you've grown us. You've stretched us. You've caused, you've caused us to, to lean on each other and on you more than we would have without the, the difficulties that have, uh, have come our way. And so, Lord, as we end this year, our prayer is very simply that you, who know our hearts so well, that you would um, help us, Lord God, reveal what we need, and then give us courage to step into to those things that we need with your help. Lord, we pray specifically for those who might be in the grips of a crisis of faith, and um, they're, they're questioning whether you exist, and uh, whether they should have a relationship with you. And, Lord, we just pray that, God, you reveal yourself to them in a way that they can know that you're there. God, we pray for those that are in the grips of, of, of hell, and God, that you deliver them from sin. We pray for those who've experienced the church and have backed away because they're rejecting Jesus, Lord God. We pray this, this idea of, of, of coming, a coming judgment, Lord God, would, would press many of us to reach out to our families and our friends and our neighbors, Lord God, and we pray persistently for an opportunity to, uh, to share with them the Jesus that we know and love and serve. And, Lord God, by your grace, through your spirit and the power of your word, God, that you'd call sinners home, that you'd, you'd save them by your grace. Lord, help us all to step out in this coming year in new ways, to use our gifts, to get involved, to testify, Lord God, with our lives of your glory and of your goodness. Lord, I I love this church. I love its people. I love its mission. I love what you've called it to. I love that you people that you're bringing to it. I pray your grace on Transit Church and its leaders in this coming year. God, that you'd fill them with the grace and the love of God beyond measure, and God, that you would look on them, and they would know that you're pleased, and I pray this in Christ's name, amen, and amen.